Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our special guest, Dr. Ellen Albertson, known as the Midwife Whisperer. Dr. Ellen is a psychologist, registered dietitian, board-certified health and wellness coach, and mindful self-compassion teacher, a best-selling author, inspirational speaker, and expert on women's well-being. Dr. Ellen has appeared on Extra, The Food Network, and NBC World News and has been quoted in Psychology Today, Eating Well, and USA Today. She's written five books and articles for Self, Better Homes and Garden, and Good Housekeeping. Her latest book is Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. And Dr. Ellen and I had the pleasure of meeting at the National Publicity Summit. So I'm so excited to bring you to our listening audience. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, I am really interested, Dr. Ellen, because it seems like you have quite a lot of credentials and a long history of being in the helping profession. So I'm curious, what inspired you to get started in the helping other people profession? Were you the one when you were a kid that was telling you know people what they should be eating or uh, helping them with their wellness? Or is this something that evolved over time out of maybe another path that you might have been on? Well, I've always loved health and wellness. My mother actually picked up Francis Ford LePay's uh, Diet for a Small Planet back in, it must've been the seventies and our diet transformed overnight. We went from Franks and beans and hot dogs and bacon to brown rice and tofu literally overnight. My parents are in their nineties. They're super healthy. So growing up healthy, moving my body, eating right, taking care of my body has always been part of my life. And I have a passion for that. I think that I really uncovered my love of working for pe- with people in my 20s. When I went to college, I went the corporate route and very quickly realized that it just was not for me. So I went back to school, became a nutritionist and just really fell in love with helping people initially transforming their eating habits and then moving on through education and transformation of my own career and my own life to helping people transform their lives. Mm, beautiful. So so the health and wellness piece is kind of baked in because you've you've got that from your parents. And I love that you said Franks and Beans, because before we started our interview, we talked about both of us are have some roots in the Boston area. And we definitely had Franks and Beans on the table at my house. So I'd love to have you talk, Dr. Ellen, about that transition for you when you did make that decision to leave corporate, because I think one of the things that has happened as a result of the pandemic, right, 
when our health is threatened, it seems to me that often that is a catalyst for people to look at all of the other areas of their life. And as a result of the pandemic, we have been seeing what is now being called the great resignation. So as somebody who, you know, probably made your own great resignation many years ago, I'm curious if you'd be interested in talking a little bit about how that happened for you. Was it a wellness thing for you? Was it a mental wellness thing for you? And then, you know, how you might be helping some of your clients through making those kinds of decisions as well. Yeah, for me, it was a couple of things. Well, first of all, the company I was working for disbanded. So the company fell apart. And so, you know, as, as a young woman living in New York City, I kind of fell apart a little bit. I went on a little bit of a spiritual journey, a lot of asking some deep questions, pausing. I think the main thing, and I find this at people all across the lifespan, it's like I was climbing up this ladder of success, but it was up against the wrong building and it was somebody else's building. You know, I had sort of been thought about, you know, went to an Ivy League school and this is what success looks like. And this is what you're, you do these things and then you're happy. And I got to the top of this building, which, you know, crashed because the company disbanded and realized, gosh, I'm not happy. So I think what I have people do when I work with clients is, first of all, really drill down in terms of authenticity. Think about who am I on the deepest level? What did I love to do when I was five years old? And you know, you're sitting on those little carpet squares and the kindergarten teacher asks you, what do you want to be when you grow up? I think we know in our hearts before our parents tell us, you know, you can't be an artist or you can't be, well, there was no coaching back then or a writer or whatever it is we wanted to do. We, I think we know. So I think the initial thing that I do, and it's something that I talk about in Rock Your Midlife, is the first step is really authenticity. So figuring out who you are. Fortunately, there are lots of psychological instruments that you can take to figure out what are my strengths? What do I love to do? Journaling is super helpful. Asking other people, what are you awesome at? But I think we know, right? Like another thing for me, I always knew I wanted to write. I always knew I liked being on, on stages, but for a large portion of my life, those things weren't okay in my kind of lineage, my upbringing. So I think that this great resignation is having a lot of people you know, do that pause. It is definitely scary, but if you really consult your intuition, you know, your, your higher self, your inner knowing, and start to also vibe with the way you want to feel. Right. So you might not know what is this new job going to look like, but think about, you know, do I want abundance? Do I want more joy in my life? Do I want more creativity and figure out things that you can do in your life that generate that emotion and generating that emotion alone will help you manifest your next steps. Mm, beautiful. So one of the things that I'm hearing here is that you are definitely somebody who is at a level of consciousness where you are helping people to really access their own intuition. When you were growing up, in addition to the health and wellness that your parents uh, kind of instilled when they moved you from, from hot dogs to brown rice, was intuition also part of that background as well? Were you uh, fostered in that or was is that something that you had to self-foster? Absolutely not. 
I grew up in a scientific household. My father was a scientist. He was an inventor. He was an entrepreneur. But woo or even intuition was not really something that uh, was fostered at all. You know, spirituality was kind of something that you did on the weekends and special days of the year. But that connection with spirit, I think as I'm looking back at it now in my 50s, realizing that, you know, as a little kid, I did have the imaginary friends tuning in that type of thing. But I think by the age of, you know, 10, 11, 12, I think it was completely knocked out of me because I was a people pleaser. You know, I wanted my parents to love me. I was the good girl. I was the youngest of, of three, had two older brothers. And so I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be loved. I think that's a lot of us. So we, we shun these aspects of ourselves. So intuition, spirituality was something that I really deep sixth. And it's taken me years to get out of the spiritual closet. I hear that. All right. So let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey, because when you did leave corporate, you ended up obviously starting your own practice. And now ultimately it's, I'm guessing, a business. You know, for me, there is a difference between a practice and a business. So your dad was entrepreneurial or your mom was entrepreneurial. Your parents, some, one of your parents was entrepreneurial. Can you talk about making that decision to leave corporate and go out on your own? What were some of the things that you needed to do from a wellness perspective to reinforce your intuitive knowing that that was the direction that you needed to go? Initially, you know, I think I needed to have some steady base. So as I was developing my business, you know, I had various jobs. Like I worked part-time as a outpatient dietitian for a hospital so I could have money. And then basically I've been an entrepreneur since I was 12. I had my first business at a candle making business when I was 12. I sewed clothes and sold those in high school. But for myself, initially, you know, I had a part-time job. So I knew that I had some base and then I started working on a freelance journaling career. And then that led into my ex-husband and I actually became the cooking couple in the nineties. We were celebrity chefs and we wrote books. And I think part of it was, you know, having that base and he, my ex-husband was the same thing. He had, you know, his gig. And then we were trying to build our thing on the side. It's really hard, I think, to develop your entrepreneurial business when that is totally your bottom line and you don't have some other source of income that you can rely on. So it's really good to have some type of part-time job because if you've got all of this stress to put, you know, dinner on the table and pay the bills, I think it can get you in this place of overwhelm, which really saps your creativity and really saps the manifestation energies of abundance that you're really looking to foster. Mm, Beautiful. All right. So when you're working with your clients, and you're whispering into their midlife. One of the things that I'm curious about is it it feels to me like midlife has started to move. (laughs) Chronologically, it used to be midlife was, I don't know, 38 to 58 or something. And it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like midlife has started to move. And maybe it's because my numbers are moving closer to the high end of that. I'm curious, how do we define midlife at this point? Where is midlife when people are now living to be 92 or 100 or 108? Where is midlife now, Dr. Ellen? Well, midlife really needs rebranding. And I think midlife crisis needs understanding. And that's why I'm loving what I'm doing, because I'm really we're relooking at it. And I think it's very individualized. But as you said, I think it is moving. 
there's something about 50. And I find so many people come to me because they're staring at 50 and they're just saying, I'm going up the wrong building. And I don't like where my life is heading. Everything on the outside looks good, but inside, you know, there's a sense that I'm running out of time. So I think it, you know, in terms of ages, I generally think about it, you know, some sort of 40 to 65, but I'm even thinking 70. I feel like we need to really re- establishes this sort of second adulthood and look at midlife more as a gateway or bridge to the second adulthood where we have this really wonderful opportunity to pause. I think, you know, for women, we've got menopause, which is is a time when our bodies are transitioning, changing. We've got empty nests. We've got aging parents. We've got, you know, the pandemic that we have all faced, which has caused all of us to spend more time with ourselves to slow down. So I think we need to sort of rebrand this period as this opportunity to say, well, do I like my trajectory? Do I like where my life is heading? If so, great, keep moving, keep growing. But if not, you know, what are the things that I can do? And when I work with clients, it's very much an inside out transformation, changing your mindset, changing the way that you talk to yourself, you know, working on things like self-compassion, self-love, self-worth, so that you're carrying into your future reality a different you vibing with a different place. But I think that midlife is changing and it's it, it's exciting. I mean, I'm planning to make it to 100, if not 120. I had 120 on my radar too. <laughs> All right. Well, we are already at the break, Dr. Ellen. But when we come back, we're going to let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and pick up this thread of conversation. Right now, though, Wickedly Smart Women, we could use your help. If you're enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. Com. We'd also like to ask you to share with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your mothers, sisters, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so we can serve them too. I'm very excited because just in the last few months, not only are we now downloading in 95 countries, but we are now having standalone episodes, individual episodes ranking. So that's really exciting. We've had uh, so far this year, eight episodes ranked in the last like three or four months and the highest one ranking at number 23, I think in Iceland. So I'm really excited about that. And I want to say thank you to all of my amazing guests, as well as to our listeners who are downloading, rating and reviewing. We do want to shout out this week to our listeners in Panama, the Czech Republic and Kyrgyzstan. And we will be right back with Dr. Ellen Albertson. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design? A life that is an extraordinary work of art. Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by women in transition. Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your Wealthy Life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. Thank you.
And we are back with Dr. Albertson. Let us talk about where you can find out more about her. You can go to the midlifewhisperer.com, the midlifewhisperer.com. And when you get there, you'll find out how you can work with her and you'll also have access to uh, purchasing her latest book, which is Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. So let's talk, Dr. Ellen, about what inspired you to write this book. Well, I want to change the way that we perceive midlife. When you put midlife in Roger's thesaurus, what comes up? The wrong side of 40. That is the sole thing there. And when you put midlife in Google, what comes up is crisis. And so, you know, this whole idea of midlife crisis is a term that was coined by a male psychologist in 1965. And we still associate this time with, you know, the, the male, you know, going down the highway in his red convertible, you know, with your yoga instructor on his way to pick up whatever. But it's this old moldy concept. So that was the first thing. I really want to change this and empower women in particular that this can be a really powerful, transformative time of your life. Um, the other two reasons I wrote the book are I've always wanted to be a writer. I've written five books. This is my fifth. So writing is in me. It's a process that I enjoy sort of. It's, it's a hard process, but it feels really good when I have the finished product. And so I wanted to exercise my creative juices. And also, you know, as a coach, you know, you know, we can only work with so many people. And I really developed this seven-step signature system, which I have used with hundreds of clients. It transformed my own life. And I really wanted it as a vehicle to help as many women as possible, because I feel like there's a lot of memoirs out there around midlife, but I felt there wasn't a good book that was more of a how to really transform yourself during this period of time. Great. Well, let's talk about the seven steps. And I'd love to hear a little bit about either your own personal story about how these steps that you've now distilled transformed your life, or if you'd prefer, you can give me an example of a client or two that you've worked with. Sure. Well, the first one's authenticity, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. And this one's super important because again, if you want to enjoy your midlife, you've got to be yourself. If you're, you know, experiencing things like low confidence, imposter syndrome, it's because you're not being you. And the beautiful thing about being you is that nobody can tell you you're doing it wrong. And so for me, this was a big transformation. In my 40s, I had a brand with my ex-husband where I was trying to be my 40-year-old self. And I was such an imposter. And I had such a revelation when I put my true self out there, pictures of me as me. And that's what I do now on all my social feeds. It's just me staring at 60. And it feels so good to be myself. So it's so important because when you're yourself, nobody can tell you you're doing it wrong. So that's number one. Number two, which was pivotal to me, was going from self-loathing to self-love. And I was fortunate enough to meet Kristen Neff, who is the pioneer in this field of self-compassion. She agreed to be on my dissertation committee. And I did my dissertation on self-compassion and body image in women and learning self-compassion totally transformed my life. So the, the cool thing about the book is that you can enter at any of the seven steps. So for me, the self-love um, piece was super important because when you learn to love yourself, when you become self-compassionate towards yourself, you become your own coach and cheerleader, 
you stop doing things that insult your soul. You get out of that crappy relationship. You don't stay in that job that is making you sick. You don't abuse your body. You really do all of the things that really will propel you forward into that amazing second adulthood. So that's the third step that was huge in my life. The third, I'm sorry, the second step. The third step is the energy step, which I've been doing my whole life, which is all the, you know, the eating, the movement, but it's important in midlife, right? So if we don't take care of our bodies, we're not going to make it to a hundred or 120. And we're going to spend that second adulthood going to the doctor, not feeling well, it's not rocket science. It really is a whole foods, plant-based diet. Eat more mm. plants. Don't eat as much. Don't eat anything your grandmother wouldn't have eaten. Move your body every day. Deal with your stress and get plenty of rest. But that energy piece is super important because a lot of women really are very tired at midlife. We've got a lot on our plates. The fourth step is really about reprogramming your brain. And this was a tough one for me. I definitely had some brain fog, some, you know, in my, my forties, I think some of it was menopause, but I think a lot of it too, was I had clinical depression. And I talk about that in the book. A lot of people don't realize that women at midlife have the highest rate of depression for any group for our age and gender. It's like, it's more than 12%. So like one in eight. Mm. So that can really cause some of this memory loss, brain fog, the two kind of go hand in hand. So I really discuss this and talk about things people can do to sharpen their mind, to change their mindset. The fifth step is empowerment. And I think we've talked about that a lot. That's about just being yourself and then having the moxie to put yourself out there and to live large, right? To really like this whole podcast is about wise women living large, doing their thing, being empowered. And the more of us that are empowered and the more of us that show up as ourselves, the more we give others permission to shine. So really giving people tools to be empowered. The sixth step is rehabbing your relationships because what happens is all of a sudden you feel like the butterfly. I'm like, look at me, I'm a butterfly. I've got wings. I can fly. I'm eating nectar. But there are going to be people in your life who still think you're the caterpillar. Mm. And they're going to try to step on you and they're going to try to put you down. And so in this chapter, I utilize uh, several techniques such as nonviolent communication, boundary setting, letting go of the good girl, lots of, you know, psychological tools and techniques people can use to, to get their needs met and to uh, deal with these relationships, right? We're, we're relationship beings. We want to be in a relationship, but as you change things shift. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers that I notice with women is they don't want to rock the boat. So I meet a lot of grandmothers who don't want to do the self-care because they want to be available 24 seven mm. for the grandkids. Or I meet people who don't want to change their diet because they don't want to be that person to, you know, ask for the bread, not, not to bring the bread basket or to not, not go out and have the lavish meals. So the relationship piece is super important. And then the last piece is about um, enlightening yourself. That's really about finding your passion, your purpose, your connection, with God, source, spirit, whatever you want to call it, perhaps looking at, you know, earlier in your life of spiritual practices you've had, or maybe developing a new spiritual practice, you know, discovering meditation or yoga, but understanding that you are a soul having a human experience, that you really are here for a reason. And all of us, I think are needed right now to be key players in the transformation that has to happen on our planet. Mm, agreed. Well, there is so much in there. So one of the things that I really want to underscore is there's a couple couple things that came through. One is when you are yourself, you can't be doing it wrong. And I remember when I was writing a book and I was in a group and one of the things that the group leader told us was 
how can you be behind on your own journey, right? You can never be behind on your own journey. And it's a similar, similar mindset of, you know, when you are being yourself, you can't do it wrong. However, I think culturally, especially like your example that you use with the grandmothers who are like, I got to make myself available. You know, there's a lot of conditioning to behave in certain ways when you're in certain roles. So the other piece that I really wanted to underscore with there was uh, the phrase, stop doing things that insult your soul. And so for those of you who are listening, this is your permission slip (laughs) to really listen to yourself and listen to Dr. Ellen's guidance here And get clear, if you are doing things that are insulting to your soul, you actually do have the power to create the changes, right? Absolutely. You know, I think we so often, this is an empowerment piece where we are giving our power away. We're blaming other people. We're complaining all the time. We're worrying, which is like praying for what you don't want to happen. And it's about taking full responsibility for your life exactly where it is. It's a wonderful phrase from Carl Rogers. You know, when I accept myself exactly as I am, I can change. Mm. Beautiful. All right. Well, we've only got a couple minutes left before we end. So in the last couple of minutes, I'd love to have you just go a little bit deeper into this idea of a second adulthood, especially for those of us who may have been little adults when we were children because of the environment we grew up in. Like, from, I'm just going to out myself and say, personally, I don't want a second adulthood. I would like my childhood, please. So I'd love to have you speak a little bit about this concept of our second adulthood and how we can create it to be nourishing for our authentic selves. Yeah, and I love that you said that about childhood because I, I honestly feel like I'm rediscovering that part of us. I don't think we we lose that part and we can unearth that part. Like for example, I'm learning to play ukulele and, and it's helping me to really connect with this childhood love of music. I'm dancing again. So I think our second adulthood, first thing is yes, do connect with that childhood self, but then also we have to connect with some of the shadow parts and the wounded parts of ourselves that have sort of surfaced to protect us. Maybe that self-critic that was there that tried to keep us in line so that we would be safe. It's really important to spend some time with yourself to notice, you know, when am I being so busy, doing too much, filling time? If you want to create the second adulthood, you kind of have to create, have a little bit of time and space to allow things to flow in your life. I think it's also super important to see who are you surrounding yourself with? I think that's a scary thing for people to realize maybe the people I I'm, have in my life are not the best influence on me and I need to change things. I think sometimes too, we have to look at some of our habits. So Something I love to do, and this is from James Clear, is you know he's written this book called Atomic Habits. So it's habits are super powerful, but think about who is the person I would like to be when I think about my second adulthood. Like, what kind of person do I want to be? For me, you know, obviously spirituality is really important. A healthy lifestyle is really important. Helping other people is really important. Think about what are my core values? And I tell people exactly how to figure that out in the book, but essentially think about when you look back at your life, when you're towards the end of your life, you've gone through your second adulthood, you're at the very end of your life. You look back at this moment. What do you want your life to have stood for? And then notice, am I in alignment with that? Think about what are my key core values, my key strengths, and is my soul in alignment with that? And if not, 
what are the shifts I have to make? And then think about, again, if when I think about the kind of person I want to be, so if you think about, I want to be a healthy person, well, what are the habits that a healthy person engages with on a daily basis and make small, you know, actionable changes, smart goals. So healthy people move their bodies. They eat lots of fruits and vegetables. They drink their water. Do I want to be a wealthy person? Well, you know, wealthy people think about, you know, how am I spending my money? How am I bringing money in? What is my mindset? You know, do I want to be a creative person? Well, then you set time aside to do those things where you engage in creative pursuits. So, you know, think about who you want to be, how, what your values are, and then sort of drill down and think about what are the habits and and then create some systems that you can follow on a daily basis. And then also visualization is so important. Think about the emotions that you want to vibrate with and imagine yourself either doing those things in your past or your present or your future. And I promise you that that will start to magnetize that second adulthood person that you want to walk into being. Ah, beautiful. All right. Well, Dr. Ellen, thank you so much for being here today. And listeners, take this question away. What do you want your life to have stood for? And uh, sit in contemplation around that and go get some help from Dr. Ellen at themidwifewhisperer.com if you need to have somebody to support you with that. Because what I've often found is even though we can maybe sit down with the book and go through and do the journaling ourselves, oftentimes it's when we are working with someone else or have that additional presence there to reflect for us that the biggest and most potent leaps are made. So thanks again for being here on the show with me today, Dr. Ellen and listeners. We do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We will have that number for you in the show notes, or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.